0: Well, Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 verse 45. We're just looking at one verse today and I got to tell you I've been longing to preach on this passage for a very very long time. I started this series on Mark almost a year and a half ago, and it was before that 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 I desired to come and preach this text. And I did get a chance to preach on it just a little bit a few months ago, and I touched on it last week. Uh, But now I'm going to give my full attention and effort to it. We're going to be able to sit right there, unpack it word for word as we go along. In this verse lies the heart of Christianity. It is the core of the gospel. It is that which defines our faith. That which separates us from every other religion of the world. True Christianity is not about what we do, but what about what Christ has done. That is what it's about, what he has accomplished. Christianity is not based upon how regular and often we perform religious rituals. It's not... Based upon our obedience and submission to God It's not about trying to escape the suffering of this life To be absorbed back into the cosmos That's not what it's about Christianity is not about us serving and appeasing God But it's about what God has done to love and serve us The beginning, the middle, the end The whole thing is all about Christ Furthermore, the good news is not simply an entrance into the Christian faith. Like, we start here, and then as we progress, as we labor to, to just grow in our faith, that it's all about us. It's all about our efforts. He's the front door, but, but anything you do beyond that, any labor, any striving, any serving is all about you. That's not it. Unfortunately, many Christians and many churches fall into this idea, and the, guys, it's works-based. This is works-based salvation if you think that it starts with Christ, but everything else is up to you. Salvation is not so much about what Christ has done to them, but but about what we do. And this couldn't be farther from the truth. Friends, our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification is all of Christ's beginning to end. We grow, not as we move away from the gospel... But as we go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this truth, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. The heart of Christianity, the very core of the gospel, is not about our service, but His sacrifice. It's not ours to repay, but His to ransom. That's what the message is all about. That's where we're going. So first, it's not our service, but His sacrifice. Our verse begins with two words, for even. All right? this, this ties us back to what we talked about last week in verses 35 through 45. Last week I told you that as Christians, we have the privilege to serve as Christ served. And that doesn't come by our own efforts, our, our own attempts to, to gain glory through our efforts, through striving to move ahead and trying to appease God and gain favor from Him. But rather, it comes out of the fact that we are already glorified in Jesus Christ, and that when we recognize our identity in Him and that we can't gain from that, it then frees us up to serve with all our hearts, knowing that who we are is secure in Christ. We're freed to give ourselves completely and fully, to love the way He loved, to serve the way that He served, to show humility and grace the way that He is humble and gracious because of what He has done. It frees us from this selfish pursuit of serving in order to gain status and favor and position. Our love, our service, our, our obedience has nothing to do with us willing ourselves to do this or that or to be this or that. Instead, we love, we serve, we obey like Christ did when we focus on the love, the service, and the obedience of Christ. This is transformative. If we can get this in our heads. Discipleship is not about our self-will or our selfish pursuit of glory, but about a learning from and loving who Jesus is and what He has done. You know, Easter... is is the time where we come closest to getting this right. Because this is the time of year where we just kind of set aside all the pragmatism, all the big lists of do's and don'ts, all the don't be like this, but be like this, all the five steps to making your whatever better in Jesus, right? We set aside all of that stuff, and we just focus on the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is a time where we get rid of all that stuff, all that pragmatism, and focus on the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came and lived a perfect life. He took on flesh. He lived the life that you and I could never possibly live. He gave that life up by dying on a cross for sin to pay the ransom that we have earned against God. He satisfies God's wrath. And that's confirmed in His resurrection from the dead so that all who repent of their sin and trust and follow Christ in faith will no longer be considered enemies of God but be considered children of God reconciled to Him to live with Him for all eternity. That. Is the Easter message that's the gospel message that's the Christian message but it's not just a message for Easter or for Christmas or for evangelistic crusades that's the entire Christian message It, beginning to end we never move away from it but yet if you pull most Christians if you observe the operation of most churches if you explored the daily life of modern Christianity the day-to-day rigor of, of the modern Christian shows that this message is often assumed, where it's considered that front door, but everything else is up to you. focuses on the do's and don'ts, on our religious practices, on our effort, on our sacrifice, on our service to God, our attention, our labor, our preaching and teaching is dominated not by what Christ has done, but on what we must do. So morality. It's so on pragmatism. Who we ought to be like. Have you ever experienced that? You go on and sat in a church service and that's what it's about? You know? Do this. Don't do that. Be this. Don't be like that. Right? It's like the preacher's up there and he's singing Wayne Newton. Right? You know, doobie dooby doo. That's the best at Wayne Newton impression I got. But I'm sorry. But yeah, it's all this jumping back and forth. Doobie doobie doo. And so... You know, if I ever do that, by the way, guys, I want you either to shoot me or to send me to Las Vegas, okay? But uh, that's not what it's about, guys. I I, I mean, I knew this pastor, and every sermon he turned into a how-to sermon, right? Every sermon was like this list of of five steps to make your whatever better in Jesus, right? How to have a better marriage. How to love your neighbor. How to have better quiet times. How to eat and drink to the glory of God. And he provided all these practical steps of if you do this and this and this and this and this and this, then everything's going to work out great for you. And so you had a few people that are able to do that. And they're like, hey, look at me. I'm able to do this. This is awesome. But you had most people that are like, I can't do that. And they're crushed. Their souls are crushed because of all this weight of pragmatism and morality that's placed on them. How to do this? You know, as long as I knew this guy, I never heard him answer the question this way. How do you do this? Jesus. I never heard him say that. It was always what you needed to do for him The gospel was the front door and the rest was up to you. And so often it's like that with us. It's all about the practicalities and nothing about Jesus. And we'll affirm the message with our lips, but our lives and our churches more often than not affirm a message of works. We exhaust ourselves trying to move beyond the gospel. And inevitably, as we focus our attention on our service, we inadvertently make Christianity into just another works-based religion. Really no different. Some of the forms change. Some of the emphases change. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about you and what you do to earn your way to God. Now... The gospel clearly has implications for our lives. But not as we enter in through the gospel and kind of move on beyond that. But actually as we sit and we saturate ourselves in the gospel. As we go deeper and deeper into it. Not by entering through it and moving on to bigger or better or harder things or assuming upon it. Taking it for granted as we labor to serve God in our own strength. But when we focus the bulk of our Christianity on our service on what we are to do, on who we are to be, rather than focusing on Christ and what He has done, we actually turn the gospel on its head. It's no longer the gospel. It's no longer the Christian message. We make it about us rather than about Him. But Jesus won't let us do that. These first two words, for even, give us the ground. They give us the reason, the very basis For our service to God. Okay? It's not like, it's not like he said, hey, you need to serve. But he said, you serve because I served. The reason why you serve is because you've now been freed to serve. Because I have served you. You don't serve me, I serve you. You see how different that is? It's all about Him. The focus is on who He is. Your salvation is not dependent upon your goodness. It's not dependent upon your service. It's not dependent upon how regularly you practice religious rituals. It's not about your status. It's not about your position. It's not about how you compare yourself to other people. Your standing with God is based solely upon the goodness of Service and sacrifice of Jesus Christ you serve because Jesus served you because he saved you because he reconciled you and because he freed you up to move beyond yourself to love and serve others So stop falling back into this foolish worldly notion that we have to earn our status before God It's all about him and not about you you know, if we remember from last week, that's exactly what we see James and John doing, right? They come to Jesus with this request. Hey, Jesus, we've followed you almost three years now. We have, we have done some crazy stuff. We've, we've been where you were. We've, we've served you. We've honored you. We've put our time in. And, and what we want is some acknowledgement. We want some glory. We want you to give us glory. We want to sit at your right hand and at your left. We'll do the best that we can to drink the cup of suffering that you drank. We will, as much as we are able, die with you in, in, in your baptism. And yes, we'll try to be a servant and slave of all. We'll do our best to perform our service. You just give us what we want. You make much of us. You give us glory. And the other disciples were frustrated and angry and indignant and just all all ticked off because they wanted the very same thing. They were no different. They're still trying to earn their way to God. Their service was more about them than it was about Him. And So often, when you hear this passage taught, the focus is on Christ's exemplary service that we are to follow, right? Hey, look, be like Jesus, right? See Jesus' exemplary example. See how He served and gave Himself. Now you go be like Jesus. You go do that. You go be last of all. You go be slave of all. You go give yourself The way that he gave himself. And there is a measure of truth to that. It is partially true. But if we stop there, we miss the true point. Mark is teaching us about who Jesus is. About why he came. And then, after that, what it means to follow him. But if we don't really focus on who Jesus is and what he has done, we're going to get discipleship wrong. We're going to make it about us. Rather than about him. We're still trying to earn our way to God. It's, it's just works-based. First and foremost, Jesus is teaching us here about Himself, about who He is, about His service, not ours. Jesus calls Himself the Son of Man. This is a self-designated title that points to the fact that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. It refers back to Daniel 7, verse 14. And to the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages—He said all there, right—should serve Him. In dominion, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So it's clear as Jesus takes this title on for Himself that Jesus is Lord over all. He owns it. It belongs to Him. He can't be more glorious than He is, right? He's the Son of Man. Glorious ruler. All the authority of God the Father has been given to Him. That's who He is. Alright? Creator, owner, sovereign. Lord. That's Him. But yet, the Son of Man came. He came. You guys recognize that Jesus did not have to come? Do you know that Jesus did not have to take on flesh? That Jesus could have just left us to our own demise? I mean, he already had the eternal glory with the Father as the second person of the Trinity. He was already Lord over all. The Son of Man did not have to take on flesh, but he did. And when you add up the number of times when when he calls himself the Son of Man and as he talks about what he does as the Son of Man, what you see is that the Son of Man is the divine human who is given all authority who will suffer and die and rise again in order to purchase a kingdom of people for Himself. And the way that He does that is to call sinners to repent of their sin and to believe in Him. To believe in the Gospel. And so what is the Gospel? That the Son of Man, who deserves, because of who He is, to be served, did not come to be served, but to give His life is a ransom for many. Matt read a little while ago from Isaiah 52 and 53 about this suffering servant. And I hope that as you saw that, you know, if you go back and you flip through, you look at our verse and you go back and flip through, you can see that the illusions are thick here. This is in reference to Jesus. Jesus is the one who drank the cup of suffering. Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the servant and slave of all. He is the only one who did this. And guys, he's the only one who can. The only one who can. And so the reason why a servant is the most preeminent position in the kingdom of God is because the sole function of a servant is to give. Jesus is the one giving here and giving is the essence of God. Do you realize how much greater our God is than the supposed gods of the world? Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever studied other religions to kind of see of the character and nature of of these other gods? A lot of times they're they are malicious, spiteful and unholy. They're tyrants, they may be localized, they're not they're not Present everywhere all the time right or they're aloof they're distant and the entire religion is centered around you striving you working you laboring to appease this God right to to serve it to honor to perform religious rituals to submit yourself to them to in order that you might have a better life in the next go-around whether that be reincarnation or just afterlife or not. And there's no guarantee. There's no hope. The reality is, you, you're serving, you're spending your entire life you know, serving this uninterested God that you don't know whether you can appease or not. There's no guarantee. Your life is spent, generation after generation, just laboring, exhausting yourself, never knowing if what you do is good enough. And at the end of the day, the only thing that you can trust in is your own innate sense of goodness and your good works this is who i am and what i have done do you hear that this is who i am and what i have done are you really going to trust in that you're going to trust your soul to that really is that good enough for you i'm just okay and that's all right i'm basically good i've, I've given to charity Right? I walked an old lady across the street. Look at me. I'm not too bad. Are you going to trust in that? That's a flawed thing to trust in. Christianity says, no, it's not about you, and what you've done. right? It's about Him, who He is, what He has done. It's totally different. In Christianity, we have a perfectly holy God. Standard of truth, completely trustworthy, always good, always righteous, Always holy, never sinning, right? So he's never he's never like this this immoral character that you don't know that you can trust. He's not a distant God, but one that seeks out, right? He's there present with you. And because he's holy and perfect, guys, his standard for goodness, for acceptance in his in his book is himself. You have to be holy as God is holy. You have to be perfect as he is perfect. Right? He's not gonna grade on a curve here. 99.9% is not going to get you in. It won't. Perfection, 100% or nothing. And we all know that we can't do that. And so we've got no hope in and of ourselves. That's really bad news except for the fact that this God, unlike the distant gods who you're trying to appease, never knowing, never relating to, our God seeks us out. Our God seeks to have a relationship with us. Our God communicates to us. Our God loves us our God sacrifices Himself for us in Jesus Christ. He enters into history. He lives the life that we could not live. He lays down that life as a perfect sacrifice that our sin requires. Therefore, we can rest assured in our status before God that we are saved, not on the basis of who we are and what we have done, but on the basis of who He is and what He has done. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. We can't serve like that. We cannot give like that. Only God can, and God does because He is perfect, and He has no need of anything. Therefore, He can give freely. Guys, you have got to get this about God. Look at me. Look, Everybody look at me. God does not need you. You don't add anything to God. Do you know that? Do you get that? Right. All of your efforts don't make God more glorious than he always was preexistent before creation. You know, the, the Trinity is the 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 impact, the ultimate glorious, the, the ultimate sense of glory that he could ever have. All right? You don't add anything. God didn't create for his good. He created for ours. So we might know him and see him. And because He's not striving to gain glory from us, oh, if only they would love me, only if they would accept me, only if they would come and worship me, then I might be glorified and seen for who I am. Then God can give Himself freely. Completely free. That's what Jesus does. He knows who He is. He's glorious. And you know what? He gives us that glory too. So if we recognize who we are in Christ, that we have glory, that we have been glorified, we can do the same thing. Giving freely without any expectation of gain. Because of who we are in Christ is completely secured. Because of what He has done, not about what we do. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. John Piper puts it this way. Says the path of obedience is the place where Christ meets us as our servant to carry our burdens and to give us His power. When you become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus, you do not become His helper; He becomes your helper. You do not become His benefactor; He becomes your benefactor. You do not become His servant; He becomes your servant. Jesus does not need your help; He commands your obedience. And then he offers his help. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. This passage is so much more than a call to follow the example of Christ. This is so much more than that stupid band, what would Jesus do? Okay? Instead, when we come to this passage, we need to ask the question, what has Jesus done? And as we meditate deeply on the sacrifice of Christ, on what He has accomplished, we can't and we won't settle for a pragmatic list of do's and don'ts in our service to Him. That's not enough for us. As we behold His wonder, as we behold His glory, His sacrifice, our souls become saturated with Him. We long for Him. We want to be like Him. And then our service is not about me, but it's about Him. I'm free to do that. I can give it fully it's not about my will, it's not about my effort, it's about Him, His service, His sacrifice, then service, it's freeing, I can abide in that, His giving nature, His character, His sacrifice, it ends up flowing to me, and then through me to others. That's how it works. And in everything, Jesus gets the glory. As I focus my attention on the person and work of Jesus, I'm freed from centering on myself to looking to Christ. It's now about Him. Service is far different than, than a list of instructions or following examples. But it comes as we go deeper and deeper and deeper into the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ. And that work transforms us. So it's not about our service, but his sacrifice. But second, it's also not ours to repay, but his to ransom. Now, not only does a focus on our service, on who we are supposed to be, on this list of do's and don'ts, apart from a clear gospel-centeredness, lead us towards turning Christianity into another works-based religion, in which we think we have to earn our salvation, it can also mislead us and others into thinking that, okay, we have to buy our salvation back we have to earn it we have to pay god back for what he has done for us now we might never outwardly affirm this you know our our, but our lives proclaim something quite different you know outwardly we'll say you know if you repent of your sin and you believe in the gospel you will be saved but internally we spend our entire lives trying to pay god back Through worship, through service to Him, whatever it might be. And our lives reflect this truth, that that Jesus gets you in, right? That's all Him. Jesus gets you in. That's free. But if you want to stay in, you're going to work for it. You're going to earn your keep. Otherwise, history. And again, this is another form of works-based righteousness, The only difference is that you don't have to work for your entrance into salvation. That's provided freely. But the rest is up to you. But the problem with such a focus on pragmatism, on morality, on the list of do's and don'ts in the Christian life, without centering our attention on Jesus, is that it makes light of the gospel. It makes light of the holiness of God. It makes light of our sin. Guys, like like our... Our rebellion against an eternal, infinite God is some light sort of matter, you know? Our sin is, is it's not individual sins, it's the fact that we try to live our lives without Him, as if this is my world and I'm God. All our sin is a personal affront to God. It's a direct contradiction to His very nature and character. Guys, lying is a big deal because God is the God of truth. God always tells the truth. He's the standard for truth. His Son is the truth, right? He sends his spirit of truth. Everything about God is truth. And so when you lie, it's a direct contradiction of the very nature and character of God. Therefore, it's a big deal. <laughs> and it's so funny that we think that we can compensate for that. You sin against a perfectly holy God who is infinite in all his being, and you're just like, hey, God, I'll, I'll make up for it. I'll go serve in the children's ministry. You know, I'll come to church. I'll, I'll give to the poor. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. Like we can do all that is required from God. We just need a little boost from Jesus. Now the situation is far more serious. Jesus tells us that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is not some do-good or some moral example, some some great teacher who happened to get broadsided by two competing political agendas and it got him killed now jesus says out of his own words here that jesus came to die he came to give his life and at this point mark he's already predicted his death and resurrection three times he didn't come as some earthly king to be to receive service to receive glory but in, in order to give his life that's his service to us to give his life as a ransom for many now, some of you might ask, well, why did Jesus have to give his life? And Galatians 1.4 answers that question. It tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And again, this is an issue because it's more than just individual sins. It's more than, oh, shame on you, Joel. You know, you told a little fib there. Bad boy. Or shame on you, Sarah, you drove a mile over the speed limit. Or shame on you, Kyle, for, I don't know, being short. I, don't <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> I got stuck there. I'm sorry, bro. I got stuck. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we kind of treat it like that. Like this is some kind of big deal the, you know, the, these little things. And so we make light of them because we're like going a mile over the speed limit. So what? Telling a white lie? Who cares? You know, it's like it doesn't really matter, right? To us, it doesn't matter. But again, we're forgetting who we're sinning against. We're forgetting about the perfect holiness of God and who He is. Right? Our sins cannot simply be overlooked. They can't be neglected. We don't sin by accident. We sin willfully. We sin gladly. We sin intentionally. And our sin is treachery against God. It's basically saying, you know what? I can do this whole God thing a lot better than you. I want to live as if this is my world and I'm God. That's what sin is about, and God has to punish that. And the thing is, deep within our consciences, we know that we've sinned. Every one of you in this room, if you think deeply about yourself, you know that you have transgressed against some perfect moral standard, and you feel a sense of shame and blame for that sin. Every one of us have. We might try to choke it down. We might try to cover it up by focusing our attention on other things or maybe trying to do good to make up for bad. But that, that feeling never goes away. Our consciousness still plague us because we know that we have transgressed some perfect standard, that it's there, and we can't get away from it. And because this is the case, there is no such thing as a little sin. God is holy and righteous and just and good and loving. And he is perfect in all his qualities. If God simply overlooked your offense, God would have to deny himself, his nature, his character. If God just said, you know what, that white lie is not a big deal, even though you you did it willfully against me and treacherously, you you acted as as a rebel against me, uh, I'm going to go ahead and overlook it, then God would cease to be God. Because at that point, God would not no longer be perfectly just. God would no longer be perfectly holy. God would no longer be perfectly righteous. God would no longer be perfectly loving. His very character demands that He punish sin. And God is going to do it. God is not going to not be God. He can't not be God. So here we are. We're those who have sinned against God, living in a present evil age, which means you're going to sin a lot more. Right. No matter how good you are, you've sinned and you're going to sin more hate to break it to you. Look in the mirror. Okay, there's one right over there. You can go ahead and look. The reality is you need to tell yourself, I'm a sinner and I'm going to keep sinning. It's true. Right. So God, because he is he is holy, he's going to punish that sin. We're we're under his wrath. We've placed ourselves there gladly. But because God is gracious and merciful, He has made a way for us according to His perfect will through Jesus Christ, that Jesus gave Himself as a ransom for sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-19 through 19 says this, that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, which are valuable, right? But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Something that is far greater than silver or gold right there. Prince, offering a blood sacrifice for sin, that was God's idea. Right? If you read through the Old Testament, you'll, you realize that God established that pattern. That that is what's required to atone for sin. Death. That's, that's the requirement. But if you keep reading the Old Testament, what you quickly realize is that the sacrificial system didn't work. It didn't accomplish what it promised because the blood of bulls and goats are unable to, take, to atone for the sins of man. That if, if we're going to atone for the sins of man, we need an equal sacrifice. We need the sin of a man, right? One who is just as we are, yet unblemished, one without sin, in every way as we are, yet without sin. And Jesus is that perfect blood sacrifice, by giving his life and by dying on the cross, Jesus paid the ransom for sin. He came to purchase the freedom for many. His death paid the penalty, the ransom, in order to redeem freed captives. Now, this word means a payment that must be made in order to free a prisoner or a slave of war. Okay? If you are a slave in prison, are you going to be able to pay that off? No. Absolutely not. There's no way to earn it. You're stuck there. Hopeless. The only way that's going to be paid is if it's paid by someone else. It's got to be a one-for-one sacrifice to cover your sins, just like you. And here's the other kicker. Your sin is against an infinitely perfect God. Right? So one sin against an infinite God is worthy of infinite offense. It's an infinite payment. It requires an infinite sacrifice. This is why Jesus had to be both fully man and fully God. Like us in every way as we are, yet without sin, but able to pay the infinite offense against God. He can do that because He's God. Friends, we have to be ransomed because we are slaves. Slaves to what? Slaves to sin. Okay? Apart from the ransom of Christ, we are under the power and penalty of sin. That's where we are. We are enslaved to it. We are captive to it. No one can free themselves from it. Even if they could, no one really wants to. I mean, there might be part of us that kind of wants to, but we want other things a whole lot more. And we will never seek that out completely. We gladly place ourselves under God's just wrath. We place ourselves under sin, totally unable to save ourselves. We are without hope unless God were to step in and pay that offense for us. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. He gives his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death on the cross and only Jesus' death on the cross can purchase our salvation. Your pity little good works and your sense of morality is not enough to get you there. Are you really going to keep trusting in it? Are you really going to keep denying the fact that there is a God out there? I mean, open your eyes and look around and you can see it, right? Right? His eternal nature and divine power have been clearly foreseen in the things that have been made so that you are without excuse. So you just got to keep ignoring it? Pretend it's going to go away? Think that at the end of the day, I'm okay? You're okay? We're all okay? No. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. This is not just the entrance. This is everything. And He freely gave it for many, not for all. okay. Jesus gave his life for. He gave his life instead of. He gave his life in place of many. That's what the word means. Jesus gives his life as a substitute on behalf of the sins of many. To atone. To pay for that penalty. He's not setting a moral example of self-sacrificial love here. Okay? Jesus died in the place of many. And he's also clear on this. That his sacrifice is not universal. It's not applied to all. Right, so don't be sitting here thinking, okay, if Jesus died for sin and Jesus is an infinite sacrifice, then I'm okay. I don't need to do anything. I'm, I don't need to respond to this. I'm, I'm just gonna keep going doing what I'm doing. Jesus' get, blood's gonna cover me. No, it's it's really clear right here in the text. Jesus says so. He gave his life as a ransom for many. Right. Now, before you get mad at Jesus, right, I want you to remember first of all, Jesus said it. Okay. Isaiah supported it, we saw, right? But it goes even deeper than that. Because here's the thing. Jesus is a Jew. In, in that day, the Jews thought they were it, right? And their idea is that God's, God's choice, God's salvation is applied to not many, but a few. In their mind, this, the Messiah would come and save a few, not many, right? Right? Jesus is saying something a whole lot more here. He's actually including the Gentiles in. He will not just save a few like they mistakenly thought. Jesus will give his life as a ransom for many so that one day all who have received and rested in the perfect sacrifice of Christ for their sin will, according to Revelation 5, verses. 9-12, 9-12, through 12, sing a new song saying, Worthy are you, Lord Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God, listen, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you will... And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and blessing, and glory." And if you keep reading in Revelation 7 Revelation 21, you see that thousands upon thousands, a, a, a multitude that cannot be numbered, have been included in or singing this song because of Christ's sacrifice for sin. That is the many that He speaks of. And praise God for that. Because all deserve judgment. And for God to save any, it's amazing. But Jesus saves many. The question is, are you in that many? Now, I can't assume that just because you're here that you're in. That's assuming upon the gospel. I, I, I would be betraying my very message here if I were to do that. The reality is, I don't know a number of you. This may be the first time that you've ever been in a Christian worship gathering. If so, welcome. Glad you're here. I'd love to talk with you. Right? Others of you grew up in the church. But you know what? You're not exempt. The thing is, we can hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again. And it falls on deaf ears. We don't really get it. We've already seen it happen in Mark. There's crowds and great multitudes following Jesus around. They don't get it. We even see in their disciples have been with them for three years. They still don't get it. Judas is going to betray Jesus. He doesn't get it. You see through church history time and time and time and time again that people grow up in the church, they're around the church forever, they still don't get it. John Wesley, everybody heard of him? John Wesley was a pastor preaching the gospel years before he ever got it. If it can happen to him, it can happen to you. You could come to every single Christian event that there is. You could listen to every sermon. You hear the gospel repeatedly and yet not believe in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, don't assume upon the gospel. This is why we never move beyond the gospel. We keep preaching it here over and over and over again. Don't believe for a second that Christianity is about what you do rather than about what Christ has done. Repent of your desire to save yourself through your own efforts and trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ for your sin. Admit that you cannot pay God off and receive with joy the ransom of Jesus Christ on your behalf. For instance, this is the essence of, of the Christian faith. That we hear in the words of Jesus, and you see in the work of Jesus, the very revelation of God the Father. That revelation changes you, gives you new desires, causes you to be born again, right? makes you long for Him. It awakens faith in your heart that Jesus is the final revelation of God, and that God loves you in Jesus And that Jesus is at work drawing you to Himself, and that His Spirit is at work in you to change you continually and progressively throughout your life, and that Jesus will serve you for all eternity. That's the Christian faith. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. It's not our service, but His sacrifice not ours to repay but his to ransom let's pray together father I, I just want to pray for our hearts that uh, that we would not just kind of continue to be blind to this truth that we would open ourselves to see how how we've really been placing ourselves at the center of all our existence, and everything is about us, even, even what we claim as faith, even as what we claim as, as service, uh, as acts of obedience that come from faith, how often we put ourselves at the center and we neglect you. We neglect Christ. We neglect His sacrifice. God, I pray that we would stop fooling ourselves into thinking that we can trust in our own innate sense of goodness and our own abilities. That we would stop acting like the world when it comes to these things. Pray you open our eyes to the reality of your holiness and our sin against you and that we would turn and trust in the perfect sacrifice of Christ. God, I pray that we would love Him. That we would see our need of Him. That we would be changed by Him. That we would long for Him. I can't do this. All I can do is herald the truth and I beg you to work in people's hearts so that they might respond in repentance and faith. Help us, Lord, to love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.